Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Jim's going to read from us Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. We are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who, might, who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point, point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jim. Hey, always good to have our youth band leading us in worship this morning. Thanks to uh, those of our high schoolers who are part of that. And, and it's so fun to see our high school community continuing to form. Uh, grateful for that. I do also, before I jump in too deeply here, just want to echo two things Ryan said. I know the parking thing sounds really silly, uh, but it's a really big deal for our long-term viability here in this space. And so... Uh, for Ryan's sake, because he gets the emails, uh, please be mindful of that. And then also baptism. So FYI, we practice what is called both pedo-baptism and credo-baptism, meaning we will baptize infants all the way through adults. There are lots of things I can share about that uh, and, and why we do it that way, but at the heart of it is we believe that we are being baptized into a belonging in the family of Jesus, the new family of Jesus, and out of that flows the new life in Christ. And so uh, if you're interested in having a child baptized or if you're an adult and you're interested in being baptized, you've never been baptized before, please come and chat with me. I'd love to have you be a part of that resurrection celebration that we have the second week of Easter. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the passage that Jim just read. And uh, it brings us into this theme of reconciliation. And this is a theme that we're going to come back to repeatedly uh, for the next uh, few months in, at various times, not every week. But we'll come back to it again in Easter, we'll come back to it in Pentecost, and ultimately we'll come back to it as a way of living this out through our community model. I've been hinting and teasing and giving little spoilers about all that we have planned for community and life in our community, and we'll talk about that in depth at Easter. But we have things that we're hoping will we'll continue to facilitate a shared life together, and we recognize that as that happens, one of the things that will happen inevitably is messiness, relational messiness, relational challenge, and, and so it's it's so important that we focus on how might we be a reconciling community. In this passage that Jim just read, Paul is sharing to the church in Corinth 
And uh, 2 Corinthians is, is incorporating a series of back-and-forth letters between the church at Corinth and Paul. And if you read the passage, if you read that whole book, what you get is a picture of Paul in, a, in a, both a heartfelt and hurting place. I mean, he is sharing openly about the fact that there is real relational pain going on. We don't know all the details, but we know that they have questioned, some have questioned Paul's authority in that church and whether or not he's a strong enough leader to be leading in that church. There were so called super apostles with rival ministries that were uh, planting dissension in the church. And, and this is kind of Paul out of that mess, and it's a genuine mess. He is trying to respond by, by saying like, hey, here's, here's my authority in Christ, and, and here's who I am, and this hurt me. And, and I mean, it's like a pretty raw letter. Uh, and, and as we read it, I mean, at one point, Paul's like, I might be crazy for talking like this. Like, he is just sharing out of the overflow of his heart. And it's a reminder that way back then in the good old days of the early church, things got messy too. And, and always this has involved learning how to, in the real context of fractured relationships, share life together. And that brings us back to that image of Kintsugi that we've been sitting with and, and that idea that when the flaws, the brokenness, the pain, the fractures in our lives are brought together, there is a fresh authority that comes that voices the whole story. And as that happens, collectively, we become a community of wounded healers who are not trying to hide the fact that there is real pain, but also are saying we're not stuck in our pain forever. There is healing, there is redemption, there is reconciliation. Reconcil to bring those broken pieces together is at the heart of reconciliation. And so as wounded healers, we see that the path to wholeness is not a heart or a life or a community that was never broken, but instead one that has been fractured, and then we honor the fractures, God honors the fractures, he mends the fractures, he tends the fractures, and he brings them back together in redemptive reconciliation. To be that kind of community, it's helpful for us to go way upstream. Like if we have these fractures, it may be helpful to go upstream and say, where do these fractures come from in the first place? Right, so let's talk about that for a second. There, are, there is a force behind the fractures. And, and here's my attempt to put uh, some thinking around this. This is not comprehensive. You could look at this different ways. But for whatever it's worth, I hope this might be a helpful way to think about it. The force behind the fractures in our world, the fractures in our hearts, is what we would call sin. And sin is a loaded word. It's become a word with very different meanings depending on, you know, the context we hear it in. But at its essence, what we're saying here is that we have gone astray from the good way and that there is actually now a pervasive force at work in our world that is diseased and destructive and alienating us from the life God intended for us to have. It is, so to speak, the rival kingdom to the kingdom of God. It's this force at work, this animating force at work, and we are being invited from having gone astray to return home again. We are being invited to take the arrow that we so often take and bend off course and bend it back on course through the work and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so sin is what is pulling that arrow off course. And I think all of us, whatever our, our way of describing that might be, can, can bear witness to the fact that like we participate in the bending of the arrow off course. But then we might want to break that down a little further. The New Testament talks about powers and principalities, these invisible forces that are at work to counteract human flourishing, counteract the way God would have it to be if God were having his way fully. And so that's part of the reality. And then we've got our false self, 
which, or, or what Paul calls the flesh, right? This is the, uh, the accumulation of all of the untamed, self-reliant, self-referent, self-protective, self-possessive ways of showing up in the world. This is how all my brokenness manifests over and against you in order to try to protect myself. And, and, and so we might call that our, our false self. It's fearful. It's always afraid of being exposed or being rejected. And so, and then we have sins. Now notice we have sin and then we have sins, uh, right? And I want to distinguish between these two things because one is involved in the other, but they're not quite the same. We spend a lot of time in the American church talking about the lower right hand here, sins, uh, right? Which, is, which are very real. Like there are times that we choose, I am going off course from the way God intended and we, we do things that are not, uh, not in alignment with the kingdom of God. And uh, so we want to confess those sins. But the Christian life is not a giant inventory of sins that we've committed or sin management that we're trying hard not to commit in the future, right? We end up losing the way if we do that. And so what we want to do is say at a broader level, what we're confessing is our alignment with the way of sin, this broader force behind the fractures, and the recognition that we are being invited into a life of surrender and submission to a new creation, another animating force that is at work in the world, which is called the kingdom of God. And it invites us into a different way of living that rather than fracturing the world and fracturing the relationships, is at work to heal and put this world back together under the lordship and life of Jesus. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? Okay, so, so then we've got all this going on in our world. There is no way to live in that world without pain. Um, we will experience pain. There is no prayer practice. There is no theology. There is no formula to dodge pain. It's just part of life. And so the question, if we will have pain, becomes how will we steward that pain? What are we going to do with that pain? And there are wounds that are hindering wounds. They, they cause me to show up to you in a way that is destructive and that where I can't be for you who God would otherwise invite me to be, right? Wherever I am self-reliant or self-protective or self-possessive, then I'm actually robbing myself and you from like what it might look like for me to show up more healed. And so it is possible for those hindering wounds to become holy wounds under the reformation of Jesus. It is possible for them to become holy wounds and a collection of holy wounds all brought together becomes a community uh, that is reconciling, a community of wounded healers. That's what we're aiming for. And so Paul's word here is reconciliation. He's the only uh, writer in the New Testament who uses that word reconciliation. And if you think back to way back when, like I know none of us really remember this, but there was an era where things called checkbooks were used. Um, and, and checkbooks, you know, you try to take the checkbook and you've got your little, I don't even know the words for it because it's been so long since I've done this. My dad taught me this at some point. Anyway, you know, you reconcile the accounts, right? And what's happening here is I'm taking this thing that's telling a story, and I'm making sure it's telling the same story as what's going on over here. And sometimes what we end up with are two things that are in disagreement with each other, two things that are in different stories. There's two different understandings or perceptions of reality. And what we're trying to do through reconciliation is bring them into unity under a greater story that is holding these otherwise different things together. 
what Paul says in verse 17 is this, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. And he begins that by saying, we're convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And so there is this new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Now, when I read that, I tend to assume that that means like there's a factory reset that happens when I come to Jesus, right? Like I've got all this pain, I've got all this brokenness, my life has uh, been involved in all these stories, and then I come to Jesus, I'm a new creation, and therefore all that old stuff just vanishes. The reality is if any of us have, (laughs) have, have kind of noticed, and I'm sure we all have, that doesn't match our lived experience, right? It doesn't work like that. And, uh, and so either Paul is lying, or that's not what that means. And I think what Paul is getting at here is is trying to invite us into a reality where the imagination of new creation that we have is less the undoing of pain and more the redemption and healing of all of the pain. It is being invited into a broader story. It's less new car smell, right? And it's more kintsugi. Right? My life is invited into this way where I am being held together into a new creation, something utterly new. And Paul uses the perfect tense in the Greek for this. It's as if to say, this is something that happened and is continuing to happen. All the old things have become and continue to become new. And so the good news, you are a new creation. You're a new creation. But notice how it's worded here. Uh, I tend to read this, and there are some translations in English that render it this way. Uh, I tend to read it as, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, she is a new creation, they are a new creation. But what it says here in this version is, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, right? And so there's two ways to understand this. I mean, certainly it is true that that you as an individual are a new creation in Christ or a, a redeemed creation in Christ, but it is also true that if any one person is in Christ, something wholly new has broken forth in the world, right? There is a whole new creation at play. It is as if to say, if one has died, Jesus, then all have died, Out of that old animating reality, that old animating reality of sin has been relegated to the past and we are invited into some sort of utterly broad new way of being in the world. It is as if to say something new has begun in the cosmos itself. All it took was for one person to die and things have changed and spoiler alert for Easter, that's what's going on at the resurrection of Jesus. Right? Jesus rises into new life and something utterly new is inaugurated. The kingdom of God begins breaking into this world and it's as if the animating force of sin is kind of pushing us this way or breaking us this way and the kingdom is coming saying, let's heal it, let's put it back together. This, this kind of infection of life and flourishing is invited back into the world. And if we are to believe it, the story ends with that force being the stronger force, the healing force, the force that wins the day. And so, check this out. Uh, If we're talking about good news, go to the next one for me, Thomas, if you don't mind. In Acts 3.21, we read that because of Jesus, there is a restoration of all things. All things, right? And then in Colossians 1.20, a reconciling of all things. And then in Revelation 21, 5, behold, the old things are gone. The new has come. There is no more mourning. There is no more crying. Death has been put away. There is a renewal of all things. That is good news. 
And what we tend to do is minimize good news because it's too good to compute with the categories we have in our brain, right? It's like, that feels a little too good to be true, so let me find ways to back off of that a little bit. What might it look like for us to dare to believe that good news and invite others into it? In fact, it is as if we are invited to see the kingdom of God at work and become participants in it, saying something new is at work in this world that can heal all the forces behind the fractures of our world. And so, uh, like a kintsugi lacquer, our lives become in this world. Healing, bringing value, bringing uh, health, to that which was fractured. And so we don't have to wait for the end times for this. <laughs> uh, we are in the new time. We don't have to wait for life after death for this. Christ already died, right? We're already in the new creation. We're already ushered into this new age. And if we have the eyes to, to see it, our lives are loaded with this healing potential for the sake of the world. Um, this is how Scott Hosey says it. Uh, if you go to the next one for me, he says the result of this cosmic reconciliation is that we now look at everything differently. We look at everything and everyone through the lens of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of reconciliation as we call others to believe in Jesus and so find themselves in good relationship with God. But it's not just about the vertical dimension between God and us. Being caught up in God's salvation changes everything on this human horizontal plane too. And so the reconciling community, it's already here. It's actually a misnomer to say we have to build community or we have to create community. This is the community. The reconciling community is all around us. Our challenge becomes seeing and saying yes to how God is already active and acting in our lives in order to put us all back together again and hold us all together. And that is the work of Christ. Let me spend a few minutes talking about this practically, and I know I'm going a bit long today. I'll just ask for your grace. Uh, bear with me on this. But I want to talk about how we might actually enter into this. And, and I think we get a clue for it in verse 16 of our passage. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Uh, what would it look like to see everyone as a creature, uh, a creature, that's not a word, a creature, a creature that is a part of the creation Christ died and rose for? What would it look like to see everyone as part of the creation Christ died and rose for? If we're honest, it is hard enough to see others from a human point of view. Like Paul says, we don't even do that anymore. Like we regard no one from a human point of view. If we're honest right now in our world, it's so divided out there, it's so dehumanizing out there that just seeing you from a human point of view is hard enough. It's easier to see you as a caricature. It's easier to see you as a, as a political uh, ideal or whatever. And we tend to look from these narrow perspectives. We say things like, that person bugs me, or I disagree with them, or if only they just got it like I get it. And of course, that's only human <laughs> to do it that way. And, and we are human, but Paul is inviting us into more. He's inviting us into something deeper here. And he's writing to a community that is in the middle of real relational conflict, and he's calling them to center their lives on the reconciliation of Jesus. And in doing so, we begin to see others with a different vantage point. We begin to see Christ in others. Like when St. Francis, who was disgusted by lepers, as the story goes, encountered a leper on the road, and his inner motivation was to pull away, but something inside of him said, move toward this person, see Christ at work in 
this person. And as the story goes, he actually was drawn to kiss the leper, and then the leper vanishes, and he realizes that Christ was at work. Gerard Manley Hopkins says it this way. He says, Christ plays in 10,000 places. Christ is lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes that are not his. In other words, the lives of everybody else all around us. To the Father, through the features of men's faces. Christ is at work. Everyone we see has the invitation into this redemptive healing, and we get to be a part of that. And so we are not only reconciled to God, we are immediately then given that same ministry of reconciliation. And this is that pipe, that flow of participation we've been talking about throughout Lent, right? It is easy to receive for ourselves and then refuse to pass on for other, to others. Whether we're talking about judgmentalism or forgiveness or giving or generosity or whatever it might be, right? I can receive forgiveness from God and then so quickly refuse to forgive. And what does it look like for me to open my life up so that that which is true, the good news of reconciliation for me, becomes true for you, becomes true for them? Because in the end, the story's going to end one of two ways, right? And we'll just think about our prodigal son story we looked at a few weeks ago with this. It's going to either end with this great gulf of separation between us and the father or us and our brother or the us and the other, or it's going to end with a great reunion of reconciliation and feasting on fatted calves and telling kintsugi stories. That's the way the world's going to go. And we have to choose which way we want to participate. And this is painful, and we'll, we'll end with this. That's fun to say. It's easy to say. It's really painful to live. And just like the shattered dish still bears its scars and you can still see the fractures, let's not forget that Jesus, post-resurrection, he's been brought back to life and he still has holes in his hands, right? Like the pain, the wounds, the scars, they're still there. And, and look at what Paul says here. I mean, this is fascinating. We could spend weeks just on verse 21 alone. Um, oh, sorry, go to the next one for me, Thomas. Yeah, that one, thanks. It says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. I mean, just meditate on that. He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in other words, Jesus' way of reconciling was to bear in himself the sin of the other, and it forever marked him in doing so, right? And what might that look like for our lives, right? Jesus' way of reconciling was not to convince the other of their wrongness or wait until they had their act together. It wasn't to stand back until they understood their need or came back groveling. It was not to pass the pain along to some other thing or some other person. Instead, it was Jesus absorbing the loss in and of its himself. Forgiveness always involves actual loss. Either they're going to pay it or I'm going to pay it, right? There's no third way about it. Like, someone has to absorb the loss. And in Jesus, what we see is that God reconciled the world by not counting our trespasses against us. And Jesus says, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you, and that becomes our invitation to, that we might let go of a world animated by retribution and revenge and, and 
and, and retaliation and that we might mimic our Father instead into an animating force so that the kingdom of God, which is about resurrection and redemption and reconciliation. And so a ministry of reconciliation becomes our way of agreeing with the good story of God. And it's painful. And often we're afraid to forgive because we think it will create a world in which injustice triumphs, right? But the counterintuitive alternate ending of the cross, the surprising end of the story, is that actually the opposite is true. It is only in forgiveness that the future is opened up. And in being shattered, Jesus shatters injustice. In being broken, Jesus breaks the cycle of retribution. He reconciles the world. He brings it back together. And as always, as we talk about this in our lives, in real relationships that are hurting and hurtful, this is complex. This is not formulaic. Okay? I'd never want us to hear that abuse should go swept under the rug or that we should excuse or, uh, or justify or minimize or enable abusive behavior. That's not what forgiveness means. In fact, the opposite. Forgiveness means that actually we're calling truth into the story. And it's not going to guarantee relational repair, but it is where the work starts. It's the work of counseling. It's the work of pastoral care. It's the work of spiritual direction. It's the work of trusted relationships, but it is the work we are called to, and there's no way around it. So let's close with this, a quote from Desmond Tutu, and then we'll come to this table. Uh, Desmond Tutu, if you don't know, did a lot of work um, around uh, truth and reconciliation uh, in the apartheid in, in South Africa, and uh, is perhaps the, the leading Christian thinker on forgiveness. And he says this, in the act of forgiveness, we are declaring our faith in the future of a relationship and in the capacity of the wrongdoer to change. We are welcoming a chance to make a new beginning. That is something we need in this world, a world that is polarized, a world that is fragmented, a world that destroys people. It is also something we need in our families and friendships. For retribution wounds and divides us from one another. Only restoration can heal us and make us whole, and only forgiveness enables us to restore trust and compassion to our relationships. If peace is our goal, there can be no future without forgiveness. And so let's go to God in prayer for a moment. Jesus, we thank you that you've put our lives back together. We thank you for the great truth that you are restoring and reconciling and renewing all things and that it is not the sameness of our opinion or the sameness of our thinking or the sameness of our, uh, uh, our anything that holds us together. It is Christ who holds us together. And so help us to submit underneath the kingdom of Christ that this world might be healed and may that healing start with us and then flow through us. For those who have forgiveness work to do, uh, don't we all? Uh, help us, help us to really do that wrestling. It's painful, and it's not a one-time decision. It's an ongoing process, and it's hard, and it's messy. But we say yes to it that we might be imitators of our good Father. In Jesus' name.